As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. Leaving big bank earnings reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. Hi, everyone, and welcome to What the Fintech, the podcast for fintech professionals who are ready to shape the future of our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host, Nicole Kasperson, and today I'm sitting down with Grace Mellis. She's the first ever CFO of Altruist, a Los Angeles-based fintech and the first fully integrated digital brokerage platform for financial advisors. Grace is bringing the heat to the fintech and wealth tech space, as she's made it her mission as CFO to ensure that diversity, inclusion, and equity continue to be woven into every facet of the company. I'm so thrilled to have her share her story, her insights, and her authenticity. She's a true rock star. Grace, welcome to What the Fintech. Thank you so much, Nicole. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Um, tell me where you are at right now. You're working from home. Where are you based out of? How are things where you're at? So we are mostly remote. Um, so I am working from home out in Pasadena. So my dog may make an appearance somewhere in my background <laughs> because I think we all have our pets wandering around no matter what these days. And uh, yeah, it's it's been great. Altruist has been a really fun ride. I've been very excited to join the company. Good. Yes. And I know it hasn't been that long, but I'm excited to get into that. But first, I do want to start um, learning a little bit about your personal background and diving into that a bit, because I do believe that is so critical to your success as a leader. So you come from immigrant parents with um, a background in financial services. Parents are, from, are Chinese immigrants. Your mom worked um, in C-suite roles in financial services, which is so cool. How have those experiences really shaped your values as a leader today? Well, I think I was incredibly lucky that my mom, you know, was one of the few women. Um, she was at a Chinese American bank called East West Bank, and she was one of the early employees, and she was the CFO. And I don't know if you grow up when you're young, you're like, I never want to be my parents. And then you wake up one day, you're like, oh, wait, I'm my mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, in that way, she you know, was an incredibly male-dominated business in banking, and having that as a role model was for me, I think very important and, and for my brother to see that women could be both moms, successful executives, um, help build businesses and help communities that needed helping. Um, and that's, you know, really shaped the choices I've made and the things that I've done in my life. So, um, you know, props to my parents for all they went through because they came here with not a lot, right? They barely spoke yeah. English. You know, I, I, it's amazing. My son and I had this conversation the other day. He's like, yeah, there's this guy in my class. He said he just moved, you know, to the States, you know, a year ago and his English is flawless. And, you know, you, you, you don't think about that, you know, if how hard it is to move to a foreign country to, to actually go to school in a language that's not your first language and to actually go and succeed in a career. Um, all those hurdles are, are things that, you know, are, are incredibly admirable for everyone who's doing that around the world today. Totally. I think you don't, I think folks, especially when you're from the States, you don't always think about just that inherent challenge, right? Uh, if you're not from the States and you ha have to learn English or, you know, have to learn the cultural norms here, you're already, you know, at 
a different place, right? And you're coming from such a different perspective and a different view of everything because you're kind of having to reshape yourself to fit someone else's culture. And that, I think, we don't always um, give it the credit that it deserves, I feel, especially in the States. We're a little, we kind of spoil a little bit here but <laughs> when it comes to like adjusting, right, to other people's cultures. It is. And it's not just, it's also English speakers who come to the U.S. who, you know, come from different right. cultures. Because I had somebody who told me she moved from Jamaica to New York and she was like, I, I was stopped and told I was too smiley. I <laughs> There were things I shouldn't be doing. She's like, I, I didn't know there were rules to being like from my culture. Like, I didn't know there right. were different ones. Like, I was just me. And apparently there are <laughs> rules uh, in the States right. that I didn't know about. And, and so I think some of those things are are things we all navigate and, you know, how do you fit in and, and how much do you choose to be a chameleon and, and how much do you choose to celebrate where you're from? I, I think mm -hmm. it's a real balance. Mm -hmm. Totally. And um, what's so cool about uh, just today and today's environment is that I think we are, especially in the fintech and wealth tech world, right? It's all about um, embracing those differences, embracing, you know, diversity of thought and diversity across um, all sectors so that we can create those innovative products and build those tools and do the digital transformations. I just said that word. Yes, I did. But anyway, you know what I mean? Like to do all of the things that it takes, um, you know, to, to build uh, the, the goal of fintech, which is to bring financial freedom and accessibility to everyone, no matter what profession you're hitting, um, no matter what your end consumer is. Um, but anyway, I digress. I do love your background and passion for storytelling as well. I believe it's such a key component for any successful business. You've gone from working as a journalist for CNN during the OJ Simpson trial to a leading female in the fintech space. So you might just be my new hero, but talk to us about that connection and how your strength in storytelling really fuels your ability to build those strong teams. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think that, you know, it's actually also connected to the diversity question that you talked about in terms of diversity of thought. Um, diversity of career brings uh, different parts of yourself to your career. And I think that storytelling is as, you know, as, as they say, as old as the hills, right? Uh, whether you are a court jester or somebody back in the day, that's how people connect. Before there was paper, before there were pens, before there was a printing press, there were stories. And stories are really what bring people together and connect people. So how you tell stories is incredibly important, whether it's the story and origin of a founder and a company or a story and origin of, of what's going on in terms of you know, our news. And, and I was fortunate enough to, you know, back in the day, work at CNN and CNBC. Um, and so I did cover the OJ trial. I still remember running in the back lot so cool. after the reporter that was mine, Sean Calebs was my reporter. And I was like, the, you know, you run after the car to stop them, right? So I'm running after, you know, Marsha Cross and Chris Darden and their Lexus SC400 in the back <laughs> lot behind the LA courthouse while, you know, the big reporters and, and, and people got, you know, Jimmy Cochran in the front, front half of the, the courthouse and trying to stop the car and saying, you know, throwing the mic in the in the window while the cameraman runs behind and the reporter sticks his face in um, to get the question in. So, you know, you learn a lot of hustle. You learn that everything doesn't need to be perfect, pretty, you know, in corporate America, I think it's, it's very different from startups. And a lot of people struggle to adjust, I think, from big jobs in large corporates 
um, to startups, which require you to kind of have that hustle. You got to be okay with like, yeah, we got to solve a problem. Sure. I'll come in. We'll hand write the checks we need to. We'll, um, you know, manually do whatever we have to. It's not about like, oh, well, if you can't have it all printed up pretty and it's all not in a box and we can't get it done. Ooh, we're stuck. You don't have that luxury in a startup. You don't have that luxury in a newsroom. You just have to hustle. So I think learning that piece of it is incredibly important. And then how you communicate what you're you're doing, what your company is doing, and, and also internally to your employees. How do you motivate employees to all, you know, sort of move towards the same goal, right? It's really about simplicity of thought, um, clarity of goals. It's about communication. The majority of costs in any company are the human resource. They're the people. So if you don't know how to communicate to them, how are you going to get anything done? I think it's really, you know, so that's, that's where I took all those learnings. And, and I was super lucky. I got to work in Hong Kong. I, you know, I studied abroad. I got to work for CN, uh, CNN, CNBC in Hong Kong, as well as the States. I, you know, I, I got to see the rest of the world and being able to live in different countries. I lived in Hong Kong for two years. I lived in England for 15. Um, I got to travel around Europe and, and work with heads of businesses and people from all over the world. And me having to go to those countries and having to navigate, you know, how do you get from one place to the next? I was a student in Hong Kong. I don't have cash to go buy, you know, taxi rides all the time. You have to figure out how to use the escalators and and the mini cabs and shout out in Cantonese, like, stop here, let me out. And and in, in, <laughs> in London, I was like, I don't know where the buses go. This is pre, you know, this is when Nokia's phone had snake on it. Like, there's bus maps and you can't really sit on like in the number nine bus on the top and go like, you know, where exactly am I going in London? You kind of just have to ride the bus and, and figure out where it goes. And then, you know, you know, all the different routes and you're like, oh, now I can get my, myself around. So learning how to be somewhere else, learning how to navigate, it brings a lot of humility um, and uh, yeah. to you because you realize as a person like, oh, I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm not, you know, doing everything that's the way I expect it. I'm in another culture in their cultural norms and I got to figure out how to navigate that. And I think that's really helped me in my career uh, just connect with people and, mm -hmm. and, you know, connecting is, is the key. Connecting is the key. We're going to put that on some merch guys. I love that quote. It's going to say connecting is the key uh, quote quotable by Grace Mellis uh, I, of, of altruist. I love that. Um, you know, there's so many things to, give you kudos to kudos to being um, a part of the OJ Simpson trial and being on uh, kind of the, the front lines as a journalist who used to like run up to cars and like actually have to like run uh, in my time of being a journalist. The, the most exercise I get are like my, I'm really fast at typing um, <laughs> for the most part. Um, so I, I've, I've lived in the internet age of journalism. So um, yeah, things are slightly different there. So kudos to that and to all of the travel um, that is so critical. And I, I think, you know, when you go to a place and you're um, feeling like your own stability is like a little disrupted, right? Because you don't know where the metro is going or you don't have, you know, Google Maps. Even if you do have Google Maps, it's still kind of hard. Like I struggled to even find some places in New York City and I've lived here for four years, you know. And um, But when you feel that disruption within yourself, there is kind of something cool to think about how we use the word disruption in fintech too, right? Or wealth tech. And there's like an interesting correlation there, right? It's like we're disrupting something old to bring in something new as well. And it's just like, yeah, it's just cool. When you said that it, and it told me about your experiences, it felt very aligned with like 
what fintech and wealth tech is and its mission and what it's doing, you know? Yeah. And it's, you know, and I think disruption is, you know, the phenomenal thing that, that a lot of the startups in the U S and around the world are doing right. They're taking, um, old traditional structures that we have taken for granted and they're turning them on their heads and saying, why not? And, you know, mm -hmm. back to this question of, of being a journalist is learning how to ask questions, right? I, you know, I, when I was in Hong Kong, I got to know the bureau chief for the Washington post and he was like, okay, you speak Mandarin. I was like, enough. And he's like, come be my translator for the you know presidential elections in Taiwan. I was like, okay, but now I need to learn a whole new vocabulary, right? What's a missile? How do you ask somebody on the street? Like, are you scared of the missiles that are flying across? Like, what are you afraid of? And, and just being okay, learning and, and asking questions. Um, I think that's what we apply to the business models too. You know, if you um, bring in people, uh, I was talking to somebody else about yesterday about like hiring people who are just different, think differently, mm -hmm. that companies are more powerful when you do that. Why? Because if you do that, and we were talking about the trucking industry, it's like, he's like, I brought in somebody who is completely diverse and they were like, you know, was doing brands and work. And, and I was like, why'd you do that? And he was like, it was amazing. Like this guy brought in a totally different view in a very state industry. Um, and, and Jason and the team at Altwist is doing the same thing in, you know, in the RIA space. It's saying, well, why not? Why can't we yeah. lower the costs? Why can't we help the end consumer? Why can't we actually give an app to our RIAs to give to the end consumer? Why do we have to expect that our RIAs know how to build all that tech? We want them to build their small businesses and get you know as much um, wealth creation and generation for their end customers as possible. So why don't we give them the tools to do that? Right. Mm -hmm. So you know that's why I would say that as an end-to-end -end solution, Altruist is is thinking about things differently. And that's what attracted me to Altruist. It's it's about this, not just the storytelling, not just about the question asking, but it's also about the disruption that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. oh, so amazing. I love that. And perfect segue into jumping into Altruist and what's going on over there. Um, I do love the Altruist mission, which you've alluded to, of bringing that sophisticated technology to small business owners, basically RIAs. So for our listeners that maybe are not as familiar with the wealth tech space, will you just give us a brief overview of Altruist today and the opportunity gap that it is filling? Yeah, so Altruist is um, founded by a third-time founder, our you know fearless CEO, Jason Wank, who <laughs> actually was an RIA himself. So he started out actually managing money as a registered investment advisor. So this is not just your certified financial planner. This is somebody who has a registration with the SEC, who has a fiduciary responsibility. Um, and, and he came from Morgan Stanley. A lot of the RAs have come from other big wirehouses and other companies and set up shop. Why? Because they want to deliver value to the end customers. And so this space has been exploding over the past decade. Um, you know, from about 4,000 of these 10 years ago, there are about 44,000. And no different than anything else we're seeing in America. I think it's the trend of wanting to run your own business. It's wanting to do the best thing for your community. It's wanting to create um, and own your own business and, and do the right thing. And that's what motivates a lot of people to separate and move on from you know, the large wirehouses or wherever they have been before to start this up because they want to combine you know, all, these, all the wealth of resources and knowledge that they have put together to help people um, plan for the future, have, you know, the wealth that they can to retire. And that's what, you know, RAs do. Um, Altruist is building a vertical stack to support these RAs as they, 
see this kind of explosive growth and are incredibly independent while they're doing it, right? So there are very few large custodians out there um, that they have to use currently, and most of them just give them a piece of, of the mm -hmm. puzzle, right? Or they are an aggregator where they aggregate lots of other services and they get discounts for you, almost like sourcing discounts, right? So, um, but no one's actually said, hey, we're going to build you a platform that's like end-to-end -end that allows you to actually show your clients' portfolios, give your customers an app. Um, I don't know if you've invested, but like, you know, in, in you know, funds or with you know, planners in the past, but, you know, I look at my parents and they get like the quarterly report, right? Once a quarter and they see what's happened. And, you know, like you were saying, in, in terms of how journalism has changed, you know, I think fintech is disrupting, you know, how people expect their financial services. Our banks give us apps. We can see everything every day. But actually, a lot of asset management is still quite antiquated. You've got to log in. You've got to actually go somewhere to find this information. And you have to wait for a statement. And these are things that um, still have to be you know, um, disrupted. And what Altwist is doing is, is doing just that. Um, we're helping our customers and we're helping our RIAs you know, do more, do better, do faster, and at a much, much, much uh, cheaper cost, which is mm -hmm. one of the key important things that we're doing. Oh, yeah. Well, and cost efficiency is huge uh, when it comes to uh, technology and the fintech space and, um, you know, and, and transparency and fees and all of that good, all of that, that crazy, crazy stuff, honestly, in the RIA space is so prominent today. Um, but I, I love it. Like I said, love the mission. And honestly, I've said it once and I will say it again. I love the um, advisory space for fintech disruption. And I love wealth tech um, because it, there's just still so much white space left. And I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, March, 2020, I mean, I was reporting on um, uh, like technology adoption numbers by advisors, like with people excited that DocuSign was finally being adopted in like huge percentages. And it's like, oh gosh. And then, and then, you know, fast forward to today, um, you know, as we are, I don't know, now, I don't like to call it post-pandemic, but, you know, um, that's kind of what it's being called. But, um, you know, it's that's the the big difference. Right. There are they're now accepting uh, fintech. They're now willing to adopt it. And so and I'm of the belief that if more RIAs and more financial advisors and planners, wealth managers adopt fintech, then to make their you know lives easier, to make their work easier, then they can open up that access to more individuals, more people that deserve to have a human advisor, um, you know, a part of their kind of community and village, right, to help build their wealth. So that's kind of the beauty of how fintech and technology and maturing tech can help the RA space and advisors. Um, but so that might kind of tie into um, some of the competitive advantages of altruists as like a fintech startup over an incumbent brokerage or custodian. But talk to me some about some of those um, that you really see um, you know, after being a part of the team for, um, what has it been now? Five months-ish? Yeah, a little bit over, you know, yeah. um, and, and it's been, it's been a great ride. You know, I think the advisory space, as you say, is, is slowly adopting, um, you know, new technology and, and DocuSign, you know, being one of them. And, and, you know, it's funny because <laughs> we partner with, with Vanguard and they, one of the, the, advisors there was talking about how they do migrations and they were saying look the the painful part of moving client accounts is that 
usually you're in a room with like literally papers everywhere and sticky notes that you have to like and FedEx boxes because you have to send out for every single account. You've got to sign send a document with a sticky note with signature pages and then you've got to like literally every single account has to be put into that FedEx and sent to each customer. So every time they do a migration, it's like weeks long preparation of papers, you know, paper everywhere, sticky notes everywhere and making sure it's, I mean, it's, it's probably worse than the tax process, which I don't know if that can be. <laughs> so, so if you imagine your tax preparer, like, um, you know, I think that, you know, bringing this type of innovation to their space is incredible because it actually gives them much more time to actually think about how they generate alpha for their end customers and how they actually, to your point, acquire more customers, find more people to help. And those are really critical parts of, of what Altruist does. And, you know, what I've loved about um, the team and joining is um, it's a pretty incredible team. Um, the team itself, from our head of product to our CTO to, to pretty much everyone, our head of brand, it's not their first startup, right? It's startup mm -hmm two or three, um, you're having a discussion of, okay, how do we do things better than we did them in the prior startup? How do we do things better than in our past experiences? Everybody's coming to Altruist because they're like, we have this vision of how FinTech can help people, how it can be done better, and how the culture of the company can also be incredibly supporting of that journey. Mm -hmm. Culture is, you know, I'm sure we've all been in lots of different kinds of companies, but when you know your CEO and executive team put culture first and, and kindness first, mm -hmm. and kindness not just being nice, but kindness of giving true feedback, kindness of, of really actually um, thinking about your employees and, and how they are actually, you know, where they are in their age and stage in life and how we support them. Um, these are things that most companies get to very late in a startup and yeah. altruist is doing them while they're just coming out of beta. And that yeah. to me is incredibly impressive. And it's so cool and it's so smart. Uh, I think that's where uh, a lot of transformation in a sense is happening in um, FinTech, WealthTech, for startups, for anyone, honestly, in business across the board, right? Folks are realizing like, oh man, I mean, it's the great resignation, right? Like, oh man, I have to take care of my people and my culture first. And then that creates that sustainable foundation to build up, right? To scale, to do all those things. So the fact that Altruist is putting that first, right? And that's that's clear, right? Between the folks that you partner with, um, you know, the representation at your company, having someone like yourself, a CFO, right? But all those things matter. Those decisions are so important. And they, um, and I, I love and appreciate that Jason um, has, has really, um, you know, been uh, intentional and deliberate about those steps. And I know that someone like yourself wouldn't, you know, join a company like Altruist unless that was true, you know? And so, um, yeah, kudos to you guys and everything you're doing out there. Um, kind of tying back into, um, you know, the, the, uh, the transparency uh, theme, RIAs do hold themselves as uh, fiduciaries and champions of that transparency. So will you kind of share how Altruist really upholds this value with its fees and its services? Because I think that's just something that, um, speaking of communication, has been so much more on the forefront in, honestly, all industries. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting because you know financial services in 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 many ways uh, has been undergoing a lot of scrutiny. You know, with fees and transparency, even on the retail side, right? Checking and and savings accounts and and everybody on the the high street wanting to to understand what they're going to get charged for, and also you know the all the neo banks saying, well, why do we charge people for these fees? I think that in the RIA space, some of these fees probably haven't been examined for a very long time, and if we're no longer custodying assets and actual physical certificates, and we're not actually transporting things from place to place anymore in terms of actual, you know, assets, like what, what's the true cost in a lot of what you're doing, right? It's bits and bytes of data. Now there is a cost to that data on the cloud and moving it around and all of that kind of stuff, but there's been a drastic reduction in, in a lot of these types of things, but yet uh, the platforms still are, are looking to charge thousands of dollars. And so if you're using multiple platforms as an advisor, that can add up quite quickly. And so, you know, what Altruist wants to do is, is basically take that all in one. So we, we mm -hmm. did it vertically and we basically said, look, your first hundred counts are free. Like, and then you pay us $1. So, so effectively, if you're on our platform for your portfolio advisory services, you know, what you're really paying for is access to Vanguard, BlackRock, Dimensional, and even Altruist simplified portfolios. If you're on our portfolios, that we've designed, those are free. So, so, you know, we are trying to actually radically, radically reduce costs so that RIAs can spend more time actually working for their clients to generate alpha for their clients and for their savings. Um, you know, and, and to your point on, on the diversity, it's the diversity of our RIAs. There are RIAs on our platform who couldn't start their businesses anywhere else um, because um, they would be required to have a certain asset, you know, sort of assets right. under management before they could do that. And, you know, we've been talking about like the really interesting people that have, have come on, on board. There is, you know, one asset manager, her entire goal is to help families save for fertility issues. Um, we are working, you know, with the Onyx platform and they are looking to basically educate marginalized, um, you know, communities on how to become an RIA, how to actually, you know, be, you know, get all your certifications, how to apply, because the process to be an RIA is not easy, right? You actually have mm -hmm. to apply to the SEC. You, it's a six-month process. You have to actually set up an office. There's, there's a lot that goes into this, and then you have to get compliance done. And, the, you know, there's, it's not something that can be taken lightly, especially if you've just been an employee running a thing. You know, there's a large corporate that takes care of all the legal and HR right. and everything else that's structural behind you. To, to do this can be incredibly daunting. Um, and so, you know, being able to support um, folks who are looking to actually educate RIAs on how to do this and, and for us to actually educate RIAs, not just how to break away, but how to get to their first 10, 20, 100 million, you know, that those are huge passion projects of both Altruist and our founder. Um, and it's, you know, it's a huge goal for the company and, and it's really incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's and it's so cool. Um, and I think you know the the niche RIA and advisory space is um, is booming, right? Um, more so than ever before. Folks want to consume information, or they want to have their services, or they want their information or pieces of advice, whether financial or whatever it is, from someone that they trust and feels like has their values. Someone that has the, the fintech on the side so that they have the ability to actually look them in the eye and listen to them and um, do all that good stuff. So um, I, I love that you guys cater to that because that mission is just so important, right? It's back to that small business owner 
in a sense, uh, a mission uh, that I think we are all um, after seeing so many shut down because of the pandemic, right? We don't want to see that happen again, whether you're an RIA in the financial advice space or, you know, looking at your favorite restaurant or, you know, boutique shop or whatever it is, right? You don't want to see those, those businesses close. Um, so, you know, we have to give them all the tools necessary to survive and, um, you know, financial advice and RIAs are no different and who they can cater to. Um, it's been so cool throughout like the last few years I've covered the space, seeing the different stories, like niche advisors, people that cater to certain things, like specifically women that are used to saving for uh, building wealth for like fertility reasons. That's so cool. Like what in the world? Um, I, I love that we have that. And so, um, kudos again to you guys and, and the story that you guys are telling and helping others tell. Um, but you do have a lot of experiences mentoring those startups, as you said, and that's kind of what apparently is like a good, uh, ingredient to the altruist team. So what's the common thread between the startups that you've seen achieve success? I'll, uh... Yeah, that's a good question. That's a really good question because you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's it's actually one of the reasons why I started advising and working with startups. Um, you know, so I've been involved with startups out of Tech Day LA, TechStars, um, and and a number of others that I've I've sort of worked with, invested in, and and um, and companies I sit on the boards of. And I think that's been the question I've always been asking myself, and that's part of the reason why I've been on that journey is, you know, getting a sample set because you can't really. Uh, read a pitch deck and really understand whether whether a company is going to succeed or not. You mm-hmm. can't um, you can't just look at numbers and a spreadsheet and see if a company is going to succeed or not. The the total addressable market or TAM that people talk about, you know, that's super important. It's the reason why people invest. But if you talk to any investor from seed stage up to the large VCs, what they'll tell you is it's the people. And it takes us back to actually what we were talking about is, is you've got to have the right people and the founders um, that succeed and the teams that succeed are teams. They're not one person, you know, um, I was thinking about the, the, Gre- the Greek soccer team when they won the, the European Cup in like 2004, there was like, you know, mass hysteria. It was like so much excitement, like all of London was, was super busy up near Bayswater because that's a large Greek community. There were people like flags everywhere. And and they were so excited because the Greek soccer team had no superstars, zero, right? They had no Messi. They had no like, you know, big English premiership football player, but they won. And they won because they played as a team. They passed, you know, whereas a lot of the other country teams, they put together all these superstars. And we see it with the NBA players that play mm-hmm. in the Olympics. They put all these superstars together and yet they're all trying to win themselves or score the goal themselves and not playing as a team. Um, and I think that when you put together the right team, whether it's in sports or in fintech or in business in general, um, you you are able to actually lift a lot more, do a lot more um, because no one's trying to be a superstar on their own. And and I mm-hmm. think that that to me, I, I was um, the founder of Zoom was talking to John Chambers and he was talking about uh, when he was working at Cisco and he was like an engineer down in the bowels of, of, of WebEx. And he was like, look, John, you taught me about when to recognize when there's an inflection point, when I should be, um, you know, investing in it. And that's when um, you know, WebEx wasn't it, it was too high in security and all these kinds of things. But, you know, years later there was AWS and there was cloud computing and I realized yeah. I could do this. And John looked at him in the eye and it was a great fireside chat. And he said, you know, it's a, 
It's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets credit. He said, thank you very much, Eric, but it's not about you, right? It's not about when you, you, you know, because he spent the whole time talking about team. And, and he's like, you, you never said it was about you, but your leadership style is such that you were able to accomplish so much more because you are able to give credit and see credit and, and lift people up that work with you. And so when you don't care about that credit, it's incredible how much you and a company can achieve. Oh, that was awesome. What a great answer to a great question. I have like chills from that. Um, yeah, I, I love everything that you just said. And it, um, I, I'm a part of a startup right now, you know, and so when I when I hear that, it makes me think and reflect on even my own um, actions and what I can do better, right? And what we can all do better. Um, and that's kind of understand that, like, these are team efforts, and we have to all work together. And I think that's, um, something that, you know, the, the fintech industry is just maybe getting a little bit more used to, right? Like it's, a, it's not necessarily like fintech versus other things, right? Some, it's, a lot of the times it's fintech being able to partner with other things, fintech being able to help, you know, integrate other things. Um, so it's like that, that story, like whether you're a startup or, you know, maybe you do work for a big for- firm or whatever it is, like you're in a team, it's about, um, you know, being being okay with everyone getting the credit or not caring where it comes from or just like wanting to to lift the boat no matter what position you're in. Um, and that's how everyone succeeds. So I love that. I'm getting that on a t-shirt as well. I'm so glad we have this on the record. I have so much future merch uh, to drop with my guests. So thank you, Grace, for giving me all the good quotes. Um, so another thing I want to ask is kind of going back to culture and values how do you navigate and maybe from, you know, just the CFO position and um, just being in the C-suite, right? How do you navigate scaling that fast growing fintech like Altruist while keeping your culture and values um, intact um, and maybe more so just like for you and like the team that you lead yourself um, from that perspective? Yeah. Yeah, I think scaling is, you know, again, you like asking these tough questions. Um, these are, you know, and they're and they're really good, thoughtful ones because they are ones that I spend a lot of time thinking about, right? Like, how do you ensure um, new team members, you know, feel uh, included and, and loved and brought in and part of the culture when we're all starting from remote and starting from home? How do you, you know, ensure that you're onboarding people and, and, managing the team in a way uh, that helps you do that. And I think we have to, you know, FinTech has to use tools too. And I think we were talking about this just before we kicked off was, you know, our company has this thing called Donut on our Slack and, and it like literally matches us up for like, you know, coffee chat with, um, you know, random <laughs> people in the company. And so we get to meet people at all different levels. And, and you know, I think we have to use those tools, to, you know, in this new environment on how we actually sort of make people you know, feel included and in how we actually touch base. You have to be much more intentional about your one-on-one meetings. You have to be um, really structured actually and thoughtful about how you sort of put, um, you know, sort of plans in place in, in terms of bringing people on board. But but it is something that I, you know, I worry about. Like this is, you know, I was on another fireside chat. Um, I, I guess I did a lot of these this year during COVID and last year, right? And and uh, Jamie Dimon, because I worked at JP Morgan for a very long time, was addressing the the point that he was getting a lot of flack for wanting people to be back in the office. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, hey, it's super 
easy for you, for me, for those of us who've been working for a really long time to do this. We can establish relationships. We can figure out the list. We can bring people on, on you know, and we can have conversations and get stuff done. But imagine and remember when you were 22, when you were 25, when you're in your first job, when you're in your second job and you're starting out and you're like, how did you learn? How did you actually, um, how did managers figure out who, who is the cream to rise to the top? And how did you learn? You know, what did you do with your discretionary time? If you're on the M&A desk, say at a bank, but you get in early because your buddy's on the FX desk and you're going to go listen to the economist at seven in the morning, you know, you get to learn by being around or being in the room for your, when your MDs are having a discussion or when you're a journalist on the floor, you're, you know, you're in the room when people are talking about the interview questions and how you're going to actually ask them. That's how you learn to be a better journalist. That's how you're going to learn to be a better, you know, banker. That's how you're going to learn to be a better employee um, or even management consultant. Like, how do you do that? And, and so I think, you know, it was a really interesting question he, he sort of posed because it made us all who are, you know, alumni and ex-MDs take a deep breath and, and have a think about like, really, you know, how do we, how do we use, I guess, tools or whatever it is and, and when do tools fail us and when do we actually need to spend time in person? So how do we use offices maybe? And what Altruist has done is we, instead of using them for people to come in, most people are mostly working from home. Um, we're having on-sites. So I guess off-sites are no longer the cool thing. It's an on-site. You're coming yeah. to the office, you know, you're bringing people together. You're actually having a meal. You're breaking bread. You're solving a problem. Um, it's important. And, and you've got to bring those junior people in too, because how else are they going to learn and how are they going to, you know, sort of learn faster or grow faster? And, and how are the managers going to figure out who are the people who are going to do more and, and who should they promote at your end when they, when they don't see them? So like, these are all things that, that we all have to think about now in this new world of work, because I, I do think post pandemic, even if we're somewhat not quite post, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> some degree of working from home is here forever. And right. it's not going to go away. So we have to we have to think about how we adapt to that, especially for people coming out of college. Mm -hmm. oh, and it's so it's so interesting. And I kind of love thinking about um, from the perspective of future employees that are coming out of college. Right. You're right. You know, I I I was the biggest office junkie. You know, when I, when I, when the pandemic first happened, I like could not wait. I was like, okay, this is just going to be two weeks. It's going to be fine. And then I was like, okay, it's just going to be a month. This is going to be fine. I need the office. Like I felt like I needed the energy of a newsroom. Uh, I loved hearing my colleagues on the phone on interviews and us like the fast pace. And I wasn't chasing cars, you know, like during the OJ Simpson trial, but like, <laughs> you know, I was yelling on the phone and doing all that fun stuff and uh, hearing the chatter. Um, so, and it's so funny because I had those experiences now, I don't mind not having them as much, or if I like that onsite's the new cool thing, um, you know, or, or if I do go onsite for something or be involved or whatever, then it's, um, extra stimulating now, as opposed to extra draining, right? Like before you did things in person and it felt almost draining and now it's like the opposite. That's so cool to think about how that's changed now, um, in, in our world. Yeah. And I'd love to imagine, like, it's going to be a really interesting question. Back end of next year, we should catch up, right? And see, mm -hmm. where is everybody? Is Are people thirst, like, thirsting to be, like, have human contact again and be in the office more? Yeah. Or are they still like, dude, I'm cool working from home? Or is it just going to find a level? Because I, I think it's going to be an interesting mix, right? Um, mm. Yeah, because I, I lived in England when I had my first child. And it was very funny because I remember thinking, 
uh, well, you know, you get this maternity leave and everybody's like, oh yeah, Europe's great. You get maternity leave. I was like, dude, that's when I realized I'd be a terrible stay-at-home mom. Like I, <laughs> I, I love working, right? Like I was dialing in on my BlackBerry and, and still listening, yeah. on, you know, still sort of jo- joining in on calls and, and not wanting to be fully disconnected. And then you learn to like, with your second, like, okay, like how to balance all of that kind of stuff. And, and knowing that you actually have to be present for more people than just your employees, you actually have to be present for your children and you have to be present mm-hmm. for, you know, everybody else in your life and your, your partner and whatever it is. And so um, learning that balance is also a journey we go through um, in our, in our lives and careers. So when you have more discretionary time to learn um, and, you know, in your twenties and you're in the office or a newsroom and you're able to do all that, you know, that's the time to suck down all that sort of, you know, amazing uh, sort of information and experience because that's what sustains you when you've got to actually balance and you, you don't have the the luxury anymore of, of that being the only thing you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, outside of um, donut meetups or the app donut where you have coffee meetups uh, with your, um, your virtual uh, colleagues, you know, when you think about heading into 2022, what are other areas of the business uh, that you're most excited about? Maybe expanding, or is there like a milestone that you're so looking forward to achieving with Altruist? Um, yeah, anything around there. I almost dare to say crypto, but we can go a conversation without talking about it, unless you want to bring it up. <laughs> feel free to go a complete other way on what excites you in 2022. <laughs> well, it's actually really funny that that that. Word did come up in conversation very recently. <laughs> um, the um, you know, but I think the the first milestone is is time. How do we give more time back to our um, RIAs, right? Like, and and that's the one thing that we have done, right? Our sign up process. We talked about all that paperwork. Um, what I love is you know our the fact that our advisors keep coming back to us and saying like, hey, I can have coffee and a meeting with Nicole, and then I can like literally open her account. And then move on to my next meeting. And whereas in the past, I would be able to have like maybe two two meetings, you know, in that five day period or three meetings. And then I'd spend the rest of the week doing paperwork, having uh, account openings and chasing information and, and, and spending a lot of time doing that. And he's like, you know, most of them now can do that and then get on with getting more clients and helping more clients and answering more questions and doing their job. So I think extending that piece of the platform to migration so that people can get on our platform faster. Um, and so they can actually open more accounts faster or migrate existing accounts faster is, you know, on the roadmap of something that we, we really want to simplify that, that backend process. Um, the other part of it is being able to manage larger teams on our platform. And that's super exciting for us, right? Um, being able to actually uh, sort of delegate team management and, and not just being your own sole uh, proprietor RIA, but some of them as they grow, they need to have to, you know, they need to manage larger teams. And that's, that's you know, sort of on, on our roadmap as well. Um, you know, crypto is a conversation that we are also having is, it, you mm-hmm. know, we just, um, we launched a sort of some OTC, you know, uh, crypto. So we do have it live. So our advisors can actually put some allocation against that. And nice. it's, it's actually really interesting because a lot of people don't understand the crypto space, right? There's, there's actual wallets, there's actual purchasing by end customers. There's using the traditional platforms that people now think are traditional, right? But Coinbase, um, you know, and, and others haven't been around that long, Kraken, Binance, whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, 
there's there's not been really good solutions for advisors, right? Because most of those solutions require the end consumer to actually own the wallet and to do the 2FA and to do all of those things. So I think for us, it's thinking about how do we build that for advisors so they can do OBO, so they can help their customers invest, so they can do portfolio allocations um, to another asset class. So that's how we're thinking about it. And that's what I'm excited about, which is actually changing um, the game uh, to actually support advisors in this journey, not just mm -hmm. sort of, you know, the, the end consumer um, who can do it on their own and, mm -hmm. and who may be very terrified of doing it on their own because they just don't understand the process. Oh, exactly. And it's so important to get more advisors educated, more advisors able to have this access so that they can help that end consumer because, you know, we, we, you know, crypto is great. We love crypto, but we also do need, um, you know, things in place to make sure that everyone is safe and well protected and um, can have all the fun that they want to have with this very innovative um, asset class. Um, I, I think I'm smelling a on-ramp and Altruis, uh, some more collabs on in the future on that, but I don't necessarily have to grill you on that. Heading into um, a little bit of the representation aspect, um, you know, towards the end of our conversation, I do like to jump into, um, you know, uh, women in leadership roles um, that are clearly underrepresented um, in the fintech space. So for you being a female in the C-suite, in a male-dominated field, um, it does come with a you know, unique set of challenges. What are maybe some of your tips for getting past things like imposter syndrome or keeping your mental health in check? Or, you know, is there anything um, at Altruist that helps you just kind of get through, um, you know, your own day to day or help uh, create those, um, you know, progressive processes to help the world be a better place? It's uh, well, I would say Altruist is great and, and Jason's great because the way he actually set it up um, for all of the leaders to come into their roles, um, there wasn't um, a lot of legacy. So what you find in a lot of startups is, um, especially in the finance space, they're like, oh, we raised some money. Um, can somebody find me a bookkeeper? And then, oh, then can you know, then then I, I, I got some more. I've got a board like I've got some larger investors. I've got board decks. Um, can somebody find me some somebody who's done FP&A? And then by the time they get to a CFO, there's like this legacy group of people who've been around, you know, since the beginning and who are somewhat maybe discomforted by the fact that there's somebody else that's going to come in above them. And and that's not how Altruist is built. Jason was very intentional. And he basically said, look, we're going to outsource these things and then we're going to bring in a leader and let them build their own teams. And he did that for HR. He did that for product. He's done that across the company. And I think that's part of the reason why um, you know, people are happy and they love the company. And, and actually, when we get referrals, they're usually like, oh yeah, my friend works there, loves this place. I don't know why they love a place in fintech, but they love their job. And so I really am interested in this new role that you're posting, right? Um, so I would say choose companies uh, who do put, put culture first. That's that's one. Um, I, I do think that as a woman, you know, for me, I, I actually, it's funny when I was younger, I did a lot of, I guess, more traditional, um, you know, sort of dance and ballet and Chinese folk dancing and all these types of things. And, and when I got to college, I was like, I never really played a sport. So I played, I rode crew and I played rugby because they were new. And I was like, Ooh, this is fun. And there was one day I couldn't row crew. And this girl who was in my dorm was like, Oh, I'm the captain of the rugby team. You should play rugby. I'm like, what's rugby? I don't even know. And, and so, but the time worked in my schedule and cause my, my labs were in the afternoon. So I started playing rugby, which is like seven in the morning. And, um, you know, picking a sport 
also gives you a, you know, a way to sort of relate to people. And I do remember when I was in London, like it's a very big, you know, rugby is a very big guy mm-hmm. sport. And and when you're in a bank, you know, all the big guys and, and, and they'd be like, and I was like, I play rugby. And they like, they'd say what? And there's a different level of, of respect, right? You're connecting with people in a different way. And then you have this other conversation. You're like, yeah, you may be bigger than me, but rugby is all about physics, right? So rugby, unlike American football is if your knee touches the ground and you, you must release the ball. So all I need to do is to get you to get your knee in the ground. So <laughs> there are two ways to do that. I can wrap my hands, you know, like American football, you tackle high, right? Around the waist. It's really hard to move something that high. But think about tackling somebody while they're running at the ankles. They're going to fall. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't even need to actually move their ankles that close together. So if you think about it, if you're walking by and like your cousin taps your ankle and you're out, you're going to tumble, right? And so, so you know, I always used to joke at work. I'm like, it's all about physics. You can be bigger than me, but I can still take you down. <laughs> and, oh. and I think, you know, finding um, ways to sort of joke, be funny, connect, but also in a way that they, I mean, for them, that was a sport they understood. I think that that always lightened the situation. So I would say, how do you lighten the situation when when you need to get something done, but it might be heavy? So you disarm people. <laughs> you you then I'm giving my secrets away. Should I stop now? Um, but like Never. you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know <the> away. <laughs> um, but you know, you you sort of and and you get personal. You you know, people that you think that you might have conflict with. Um, if you get to meet their spouse, ask their spouse, like, hey, how do you manage them in front of them? And and have, because it's really fun listening to what their spouse <laughs> will say about them, right? And you learn a lot about people that way, right? You learn these secret, like, I, I just did that. I just did this the other day, just so you know. And the, this, you know, <laughs> this, you know, very strong woman's husband was like, well, you know, we have this thing at home. Is, is it a five cent issue or a dollar issue? So it's a five cent issue. I'm not going to lay down my life for it. But if it's a dollar issue, I was like, ooh, now I know. If I'm ever in that place with her, I'll be like, this is a dollar issue, right? Like <laughs> we need to take, you know, and, and yeah. you're really finding ways to what I would call is diffuse, uh, disarm and include. And those are the things that I would say are are my tips and tricks to to try and sort of bring people together. Because going head on, it's like a train on a track, right? Sometimes to get to your destination, if you're going head on, it's kind of better to pull that track lever and, and yeah. go go by at speed than doing this because you can always come back and 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 sort of um you know fix the problem attack in a different way but if you go head on and crash there's kind of no recovery so mm-hmm. oh wow <laughs> okay so it's official grace is on my team for the squid games uh if that is something that i ever end up in i hope not but <laughs> grace is who you pick right you pick the one that understands that physics is more important than than brutal strengths and 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 smarts so that that's what I gathered from that. But all, all, all jokes aside, um, that is that is a lot of amazing information. Thank you for sharing uh, your secrets, if you will, with us. Um, it, it means a lot. And I, you know, for me, a big um, uh, point of my podcast is I want folks um, and professionals in the space to to hear these pieces of advice from someone like yourself and say, hey, like I can apply that to myself. And I can make my business better by doing that. So thank you so much, Grace, for for sharing all of this information. So much amazingness in one episode. I will ask uh, final thoughts. I want to roll out the red carpet for you. Grace, please tell us what the F we can expect from you or Altruist next. I think we can expect Altruist to continue to go from strength to strength, to grow, to do more for our 
um, you know, fintech and our financial RIA advisors. Um, we're going to support all the new advisors out there who want to start their own business. And we are excited to be on this journey with you, Nicole. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. That is a wrap on this episode of What the Fintech. Thank you again to Grace for joining us. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you loved this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button and you can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, talk to you soon.